I need you guys to know that my ambient noise in this room, negative 80 in this mic. Harmonizing. I seem to have about a 0.25 second lag on my end, but everyone else sounded spot on when they all came in. Uh, Does that have anything to do with Brexit? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) It's the UK variant of audacity. If you can't blame anything else, always always blame Brexit. It's Boris's Boris's fault. It's Boris's fault, yeah. 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 I gotta log in to I know how to alien the streaming box so I can play the music because I forgot again. Woo! Welcome to Midcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 358. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel in IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. This is Leo, and with me today is Joe. Hello. Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. Moss. Hello there. And Mike. Hey, hey. And we're recording on Sunday, April 4th, 2021. First up in our wanderings, I make a handoff. Joe repairs more stuff. Moss is in the news. Tony Hughes continues the challenge. And Mike the Builder makes a bike. I was going to go with uh, Mike likes bikes, but uh, yeah. yeah. You never would have made it through that. <laughs> <laughs> then in the news, Mint sends relief. Ventoy has a birthday, Jingpad gets closer, new docs man up, and Alma Linux soothes the soul. In security, your smartphone is spying on you. Facebook springs another leak, and we disclose our vulnerability. Well, this past fortnight, I've done a few things. Uh, One of those things was one less thing, and that's I dropped Full Circle Weekly News. I ran out of time. I couldn't do it. I was doing it at a service, I feel like, uh, by uh, issuing a weekly show every two weeks. (laughs) Kind of breaks the whole thing, the idea of a weekly show. Does this mean you're human? Uh, (laughs) Like all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out a bit more than I can cheer. Oh, man. Uh, I think it was Full Circle Weekly News trying to make videos um, for for Terminal Tricks. It was Mintcast and Linux User Space, and nope, I ran out of time multiple times over and over and over and over again. So (laughs) I had to to let it go. Yeah, I had to let it go because, you know, the show is only five minutes. It really never, for me, went further than five minutes, but it was way more than five minutes of production uh, time that I had to put into it. The the editing actually was pretty quick too. Uh, I think maybe I spent 20 minutes editing the thing, but gathering all the articles, uh, pulling out the facts from those articles and, you know, just scouring the internet for everything. Just, it was so time consuming. I would say I'd probably put about 10 hours a week into that show by doing all that research. And man, Honestly, uh, I probably did more on that show time-wise uh, than than some of my other episodes of I don't know shows. No, no, no show in particular. 
you're making it too hard. Just let Eric do the work. Well, and I was. I know that was a big part of it. But I think what I what I, I went into it thinking was, you know, if I'm going to do this show, I'm going to do this show right, and I want to control every aspect of it. And you know, that was that was really what it was. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I took it on myself. It was uh, Sisyphus, man. I, I couldn't I couldn't ever get that rock to the top of that mountain and feel like I had, you know, finished. And that I, you know, I think what it was is the moment I finished. I had to look to the next week and there was no, there was no downtime. So there was always full circle weekly news on my mind, but I let it go, but I didn't let it go too far. Where, where did it go? It went to Moss. Moss has now taken over full circle weekly news. You'll be sorry. Now, you know, (laughs) the reason I approached Moss first um, I didn't, I didn't even ask anybody else. Um, and if you were chomping at the bit thinking, Hey, maybe Leo will ask me about this. I am sorry. <laughs> but, but, uh, the moment from the very first episode of Mintcast that we ever did together, that moment, uh, Moss had one of the best, what is it like reading voices, news voices that I could ever hope for. So yeah, you, you were just at the top of my list, Moss. It was a short list and you were the only one on it. Well, I thought about using my old radio voice, but I think that it'd get a little hokey after a while. <laughs> There's a clear delineation of Just me. Just one episode. Do it for it, it, one ooh, episode. I think that's a good idea. But there's there's like a clear delineation of my voice on this show and on Full Circle Weekly News. So, you know, I don't know how hokey it is. Nobody complained to me about it, though at least maybe that feedback just never made it to me. I don't know. Breaking news. Leo is dropping full circle weekly news, but it's not going far. (laughs) Hey, is that in the article? Is that in, is that in the new episode? No, that's on your script right there. Oh, oh, I just, I never, (laughs) I never said bye. So I'll, I'll probably just do that in telegram or something. Anyway, uh, I hate breaking news. You, You can't pick up the pieces and get them back together. I know. I know. But speaking of dropping another show, uh, it's not dropped or forgotten, but it's wrapped up. Linux User Space Season 1 is wrapped up. So technically, the only running show that I'm on is this one. Huh. So how long of a season break are you having? We're, we're doing two to three months. We haven't decided on an exact return date yet, but it's going to... are you having a curry? <laughs> you know, now this is the thing. I, I feel like we have to now. It's if any show that has a season seems like... Uh, okay, you know, not any show, but the Ubuntu podcast, they do that. And yeah. I'm I'm probably going to steal that idea. I'm going to force Dan into it. We're going to have a curry. <laughs> Maybe we won't have a curry. Maybe we'll have to do something else. Our stick will be different. Menudo. We'll have a hot dog. Well, you menudo. can't shed too many more hosts. Oh, Menudo's good. Yeah, that's that's another thing. I don't know what we're going to do about that. We'll have to figure that out over the break. We have I not mean, it decided was Rocco's idea, wasn't it? It was Joe's idea. It was Joe's idea. He roped Rocco into it, and Rocco said, okay. And then they roped Dan into it, and then the last edition was me. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, it's, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. But I know Dan and I have, have decided that we're going we're gonna to keep going. So we're probably going to find one or two more hosts and just forge ahead. I don't think we'll go for a, for a high score of seven or eight like we do on this show, but it will be something. Well, we didn't aim for seven or eight. We just lucked into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, is a hard cap of four, I think. So <laughs> once we get four, I don't think we'll go any higher. Are you doing video when you do the show? 
Well, um, you know what? I, I'm not going to spoil anything because live listeners um, will get it early and there are Patreon rewards and stuff. So uh, listen to the very beginning of the show because the very beginning of the show, expla- oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. The very end of the show explains the answer to your question. <laughs> the short answer is yes, but listen to the end of the show and you'll, you'll hear what exactly I'm talking about. And there's an ad-free copy if you sponsor the show. And- That's true. There's an ad-free copy if you don't sponsor the show. But, you know, we'll also <laughs> give you an ad-free copy if you do sponsor the show. So uh, last couple of things is um, I've got this new pop filter. So uh, on my microphone, I've had a windscreen for the longest time, but I've been fighting sibilance. And you can fix it in post, but my ethos on microphone and recording and everything is get it right the first time so you don't have to muck with it in post. That's that's my answer to everything. So never deal with it in post. So that windscreen was letting a lot of sibilance in, which is that S sound. My mouth just likes to really make that sharp. So the microphone picks it up that way. So I'm trying to find ways to combat that. I have removed the windscreen for this episode, and that's just a little foam junk you put on top of the microphone. Like if you're walking around on a stage, yeah, that little foam squishy thing. Uh, I've replaced that with a pop filter, which is that little circle that goes in front. It's uh, It's got both foam inside and metal on the outside. So um, if I get real spitty or something, it'll catch that, which is really nice. And the foam being further away from the mic, hopefully will cut down on some of that sibilance in the, uh, in the recording on the back end. So, oh, and I know you're listening to this. Uh, tell me how it is. Leo. Yeah. Just to say about noise gates uh, not being installed by default in Audacity, I think that's correct in the current Audacity, but I think you'll find in 3.0, oh. it, it's there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let me get into that. That is, uh, and yeah, I, to- uh, I totally uh, juked you, Tony. I did the last one first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's that's my last bit. I've, re- I've been... Over over the past few months, as I've been editing Linux User Space, um, I have revised some of my audio editing workflow. And one of those things is the most amazing thing. I cannot tell you how amazing the late Chris from, I believe it was like the Audacity podcast. It was a podcast about audio editing. And they had, their, their episodes are timeless. It doesn't matter how long you wait to listen to that episode. The episodes are timeless because the techniques are timeless. So go check out the Audacity podcast. It's amazing. Um, and one of the people that was behind that was Chris, uh, who has passed away, but he left us one of the most amazing gifts of all time. And that is his plugin called Compress Dynamics. And this is a plugin that will replace Audacity's own compression. And they're not even in the same league. Audacity's compression is fine. You can tweak some knobs and make it work, and the compression will be good at the end of it all. But nothing, nothing tops this compressed dynamics. Um, it is, it's fantastic. You, you, uh, I've got some settings that I can share with everybody, but uh, basically you just you select all your audio, you, let com- you click compressed dynamics, you click OK, you're done. You do not have to edit levels at that point. It's amazing. So that's why those screenshots you sent me, were totally different to Audacity 2.4. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, what's going on? <laughs> yep. This plugin is amazing. I'll get a link in the show notes before we post it uh, for if y'all want to take a look at it, but it, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, 
it it has chopped off. Uh, I would say 30 minutes to an hour at the beginning of every edit. It is that good. I don't have to go in and do amplify. I don't have to go in and do limiter and then, you know, just try and get the things leveled before I do. I just throw compressed dynamics on it and it's done. It is amazing. The only artifact that this plugin will introduce is at the end of speech, it will really compress that and make it louder. So if you're trailing off in your speech, it doesn't sound like it. It actually sounds like the opposite. It, it sounds like it will get louder at the end. So all I do is pick the last two to three seconds of the audio and do a fade out on it, and it sounds natural. So, yeah, I mean, save me 30 minutes uh, and cost me 10 seconds. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's an equation I love uh, to get the answer to. So the other thing uh, that Tony was talking about was the noise gate. This is my other secret weapon. I don't go in and... Uh, do much of audio suppression anymore. So like when you're not talking, uh, I don't have to do a whole lot of, um, you know, turning you down or anything like that. The noise gate just does that for me. Uh, the only thing that I do have to go turn down is if you like kick your table or you sneeze or cough or, you know, something like that, take big deep breaths, any of that. Um, that's, that's really all I have to do anymore outside of this. The noise gate chops off another 30 minutes of time uh, and I basically anything under negative 55 dB, I just chop it off. Your breaths aren't even that um, that silent. I'll catch those and then I'll, I can leave them in or take them out or whatever uh, at that point. You're going to have to do a Zoom tutorial with me so I can see all this working. Oh, yeah. It, it'll save your life, Tony. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I will show you. It's, this stuff is amazing. <laughs> all right. So I'll shut up now. Joe, what have you been up to? Quite a lot, really. Um uh, I need to redo one of those two razors that I had done previously, and uh, I need to reverse the connections on one of the one mores that I did. The razor, I guess I went a bit harsh with the soldering iron, and I'm going to need to replace the replacement 3.5 millimeter connector, but um, not too bad on those. I also disassembled a couple of mice with my new pine sill soldering iron. I, I really like it. Mm -hmm. uh, the the price is $25 for a really good working soldering iron that heats up super fast and is easily portable. Um, I'm still looking for a stand that I like for it that I can use, you know, while soldering to set it down. I think I found a 3D printable one that uh, uses a paper clip as the front piece of the stand, and that should work. Um, I took apart the mice for the switches so that I can use them to fix a couple of the other M570 mice that I have, so I don't have to keep buying more of them. Um, the M570 seems to have a bit of a short half-life. I mean, sometimes you'll get them to last for a couple of years, and then sometimes you'll get them to last six months before one of the switches goes out. So uh, I want to be able to replace those switches. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that when you wear out that left button, you just wear it out, and there's nothing you can do unless you're good like you at soldering I, I haven't done one before so i'm hoping to get to do one i gotta find some of my ones that are messed up and then fix them and see how well it works if you've got some and want to send them to me please do i've been sending them to other people just uh, that did never had seen one um, anyhow yeah i um we've got a house full of m570s here yeah i've been using them for years and I also got one of the jelly comb ones that I'm I'm really liking. But um, anyways, moving on. 
I ordered and received the Dell Latitude 5290, which costs a little bit more than I wanted to pay for a tablet, uh, but I have to say it works really well. I also discovered that there may actually be a good reason to switch to the i7 instead of the i5 version, even with the minimal performance games, as the i7 version has actual Thunderbolt ports instead of just the USB 3.1 USB-C. But I am very happy with the tablet as it is. Um, the first thing I did with it was install Endeavor and then added GNOME because I wanted to give that more of a try. You're still running Arch? Um, oh, let, 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 yeah, yes, I, I, I run Arch. <laughs> Just needed you to say it. Yeah, um, that didn't last real long, though. Uh, I, and I had the same issues with Steam, but I found out what that problem was. And, and my extreme dislike gnome out of the box um i switched from there to mint and things started working other than the rotation which had the issue where it would rotate the screen but not the touch but that was really easily fixed by installing screen rotate in in the exact same way as i had installed it in arch so um but with uh mint steam just plain worked. i didn't have any problem with uh torchlight 2 and Borderlands 2 worked just fine. I would have installed Borderlands 3, but that's a 112 gigabyte game. And the um, hard drive on the tablet is only 256 gig, which wouldn't have left a whole lot to work with. Borderlands 2 was installed using Proton so that I could actually use all of the DLC. And it, it wasn't the smoothest thing in the world. I had to dial back the settings a little bit, but it worked well enough and was playable. Um, but I will say that Borderlands 2 sent the thing from 75% battery to shut down in like 20 minutes. Um, but I haven't really finished putting the battery through all of its testing to see how good it is. So still, a tablet playing Borderlands, I, I, I think, is pretty good. Now, did, you, did um, you buy this tablet new, Joe, or did you buy it used? No, I don't like buying new Windows tablets to try and put Linux on them. I like buying used Windows tablets and putting uh, Linux on them, the ones that are a little bit older that, you know, people have had time to write all the drivers for. Mm -hmm. But um, this one, I wasn't able to get the cameras working, neither of them front and back on Arch or Mint, and that's because there just plain isn't any drivers written for it whatsoever. But uh, that'll probably come in time, probably. One other nice thing about this tablet is it has um, a WAN port or WAN slot in the back. And so um, I've tried ordering 128 gigabyte SSD for it, but um, I've messed it up three times now. The first time is because it says right on the port that it's a 2230. So I ordered a 2230, but that didn't fit. You actually need a 2242. Yeah. Right. So I ordered the 2242. And the one I ordered was supposed to be a B plus M, but it showed up and it was only a B. And, you know, it, despite the sticker on the front saying B plus M, it's obviously only a B when it has only the one slot on the one side. And it didn't match the picture. So I, I don't know about that. And then I ordered one that was the right size and B plus M. It fits in the slot. The problem is, is it's um, NGFF and I needed NVMe. So, so that's the thing. Well, a lot of those slots, and my, my ThinkPad is included, it's got to be in GFF. It's got to be that old SATA-style M.2 at 2242. 
Yeah, most of them are NGFF. Uh, I mean, even some of my older tablets use the NGFF 2260. So that's why I ordered an NGFF. But it turns out this one needs an NVMe. So How weird. Yeah, super weird. And so I've also ended up ordering a bunch of adapters to turn these all into USB drives. Because it's not, you know, the people I ordered from, it's not their fault that I ordered the wrong stuff. And uh, these 128 gig drives only cost me like 15 bucks each. So I don't really have a whole lot to complain about. True, true that. I, I did put a uh, 64 gigabyte micro SD into it, but I really want that faster M.2 drive for either games or just for storage or for a second operating system. But I could, I think, just, you know, get a much larger main drive, the 2280. I don't think I can put a terabyte in there, but I could upgrade from a 256 to a 512 easy enough. Now, I did try to uh, install Garuda Linux to an external drive using those um, adapters that I was talking about to test it out on my tablet. But after multiple tries with issues caused by the drives and the uh, first adapters that I got to turn it to USB kind of sucking, I gave up on the idea of running Garuda from external media and I wiped out Mint and put in Garuda bare bones. I have to say, for Arch, it is an extremely robust version and, and takes most of the work out of Arch. Um, updating in that initial install, it gives you this you know click menu where you can just click through and pick install Steam, Mumble, Discord, Telegram. Most of the stuff you're gonna want, you can just install from there including you could uh, switch from Pulse to Alsa to Jack if you wanted to. Um, I also found that the game that I was using as a test case in Arch that was not working in Steam and Endeavor was also not working in Garuda. But the reason is because it's a 32-bit game and there's an issue with the 32-bit libraries needing to be pointed to. So... Um, I should also mention that I installed the GNOME version of Garuda and upgraded that to the GNOME 40 version, but I'll get that to that in the intersection. And then yesterday, I picked up a large volume of broken electronics for a, a pretty decent price. Lots of Bluetooth and wired headphones that need some work. I saw this picture. It's, it's insane, the amount of stuff that you just picked up. It's like... 40 to 60 headphones and some Bluetooth speakers and some, um, well, there's actually some wireless microphones in there that I don't know if I'm going to end up testing out. A couple of projectors. Um, but anyways, just lots and lots of stuff for me to work on. Lots and lots of fixes for me to do. Uh, I've already got a couple working. My current favorite is the Razer Nari Ultimate that I'm wearing right now. I was able to get it paired up to the USB, and it's working really good. Um, but some of the other highlights are uh, two DT770s, one of them in Whoa. perfect condition, one of them needing what? a little bit of work. Yeah, perfect condition. Those DT's. are amazing headphones. Yeah, and honestly, I'm going to sell the one that's in perfect condition and 3D print some stuff for the other one, and that's going to make up most of my money that I spent. Plus right. some, I mean, you're uh, going to get more than 100 bucks for that DT770. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then I several Shure SE 215s and 315s and several Audio-Technica M30s, M40s, and M50s. 
and M50s. I'm using M50s, M50s now. They're amazing. Now, the problem with the M50s is the problem that always comes up with the M50s, and the little tab broke on the hinge. I have to find a way to fix that. I've seen a couple of suggestions, including a 3D print, but I think I'm going to go with the bolt method. But here's the, uh, here's the real solution. Don't throw your headphones. I'm not the one that threw them. <laughs> no, no, just anybody listening, you got a pair of M50s, don't throw them, and they'll be fine. It's an spe- expensive pair of headphones to be tossing around like junk. Anyways, that, that's all I got for now. Expect to hear more about that. Moss, what have you been up to? In a surprise development, I got a message in Telegram from Ronnie Tucker congratulating me as a new voice of Full Circle Weekly News podcast. Was it really that surprising, Moss? It was. He didn't <laughs> He didn't write me. He said, I hear you're interested in this. Are you still interested in it? He just said, congratulations. Yeah, and I didn't want to presume too much. So I was like, you know, I've got somebody in mind to take over for me. And, you know, with your blessing, I, I can I can get him up to speed. And he just, nah, he just took it. Nope, nope. Moss is the guy now. thank you leo i have big shoes to fill but i hope to fill them weekly ah see now that's that's the catch right there weekly i think moss you're you're gonna do you're gonna do amazing and honestly those shoes are not that big i couldn't even do it weekly so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you did it for for i would say more often than i did not how uh, long did you have that show leo uh i picked it up in april-ish two years ago so mm-hmm. yeah, about 2019, April 2019 or so, maybe that my brain might be remembering that wrong, but I think so. Okay. Well, I had some problems for a week or so with Linux Mint 20.1. The system was locking up or sometimes just the mouse button stopped working. A number of other people reported similar issues on the Linux Mint group on MeWe, but nothing made it to the Mint forum. After a couple of more updates, including a kernel update and two system D updates, my machines are working fine. The Z800 was locking up when things get plugged into the top USB port on the front of the machine, but I think this has been resolved by magic. The fellow's keyboard I bought her on eBay proved to not work, so we went to Voldemort and got her a Logitech keyboard. That's always the right choice. Um, I've, I've had fellow's keyboards before, and there are cheap keyboards. And then there's fellows. <laughs> just, well, no, I didn't. I've like them had ever. my fellows for like five years, and it replaced a couple of Microsofts that kept breaking. Wow. Okay. I've just never had good luck with them, so I just wrote them. I wrote them this totally one, off. It, it worked, but in some programs on the ten keypad, the zero two five eight and slash key were not registering, and then in other programs, those keys would work, and then the arrow keys wouldn't work. I got you. I see. I thought we were talking Anyhow. about Harry Potter for a sec because you, you mentioned magic and then you said you went shopping at Voldemort. So. <laughs> Voldemort. <laughs> v- Voldemort. <laughs> the store which must not be named. Yes. Uh, I plugged Suzanne's fellow's keyboard into my computer to test it and proved it really was not working. But in doing so, I broke off the headphone jack on my nice old class headphones. See, see, right fellows off altogether. It ruined everything. I thought that was all, but when I plugged my other headset into the jack, to do Distro Hopper's Digest episode 21 on Wednesday, I found I could not hear anyone. Tony Hughes reminded me I had a USB sound card on my Raspberry Pi 4 and I used it and continue to do so now. I should get a second identical card in the mail in the next couple of days. I have my uses. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, Tony, Dale, and I recorded Distro Hopper's Digest episode 21. It is out now. 
following our record-breaking episode 20, which exceeded 800 downloads. Yay! I think we're at 809 right now. I forgot to write that down. We had a great time as usual and covered Magia, Debian Unstable, Endeavor, and others. I'm already working on episode 22. Oh, there it is. I did write it down. Episode 20 is at 818 downloads as of yesterday. 831 as as of now. Oh, my. I'm not going to go look it up to cross-check you. I'll believe you. (laughs) It's time to get your votes in on Distro Madness Elite 8. Voting will close this Friday before moving on to the semifinals. Surprise, most of my readers come from Mintcast listeners, so all four versions of Mint are favored to make the final four. But... Can Solus sneak in? I so what so. about you, Tony? Ooh, someone's very crackly. Who? I don't know. It might be you, Moss. Oh, no, I can't crackle. <laughs> Maybe you can smell. If I If I start crackling, I explode. Okay, so uh, I've been putting in lots of walking. Uh, last Monday, I did another big walk, did 12 and a half miles uh, with my wife and a friend, and we walked up the... Uh, Northwards from Blackpool, uh, South Blackpool to Fleetwood, which is uh, north of us, uh, along the prom. Uh, I'm regularly doing uh, five plus miles a day now. It's getting quite addictive. Aren't you a little old for the prom, Tony? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And and I already had a girl on my arm, so I was all right. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of that song, uh, and I would walk 5,000 miles, right? Whatever that is. That's it, man. You're, you're, you're actually the song. That's you. That's they wrote that 500 about you. miles, but okay. There you go. Well, I may be 360 to start with, because oh. that's the current, current challenge is uh, walk 360 miles from south of, virtually, of course, from the south of Ireland all the way to the... Uh, northern tip of Ireland. Wow, that's, and, that's huge. And uh, I'm a, I'm 150 miles in as of today. Wow. So I'm doing all right. And as Moss said, we uh, in between all the walking, I did manage to uh, help record a new episode of Distro Hoppers, uh, which we did last manage uh, Wednesday, and I managed to get it edited. And after a few little tips from Moss, managed to get it posted by Friday. So uh, all's well with the world. And like I just said, I just checked uh, on uh, archive.org and we were up to 8.31 for episode 20. So that's amazing. Yeah, we're old enough to drink now. Episode 21. Yeah. Yesterday, during the pre-show chat, Mike helped me get Audacity 3 installed on Endeavor. Uh, I've not had a massive chance to play with it yet, uh, but I did play with the uh, Snap version on my main box, and I managed to uh, open a a normal AUP file and uh, get that installed and save it to the new AUP3 format. So all that works. I didn't uh, didn't try bringing it back in to see whether it still played, but I'll have a go with that at uh, another time. I'm still getting permission issues with Snap, though. Uh, and it, the only drive it'll see is the one installed in the uh, OS. Uh, it won't see any of the other drives in uh, Audacity. Oh, I think you've got to do, like, um, a connect yeah. mount something or another. Yeah, and it, it'll only be able to see things mounted in media outside of your home folder. Yeah. So uh, I'm just uh, hoping uh, that uh, we get three in uh, quickly in mint and then i can uh, or i 
could try it in uh, app image when that arrives, but that'll probably have the same same issues as snaps and flat packs. I would imagine. Right, I wonder if, if you're. If, oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say. I wonder if you're using the a flat pack app, Tony. If you use flat seal, you could grant it more permissions and more access through that. I believe, right? Probably, yeah. Um, that and, and they have a PPA. So if you would just rather it be a dev, uh, basically, um, there is a PPA out there. I don't know if it's up to Audacity three yet. I would assume it is, but. Uh, yeah, that's probably what I'll do then. When it when it becomes um, distribution release, I'll uh, I'll uh, install it as uh, you know PPA. But that's about it with me. So, Mike, what have you been doing? Not a whole lot. Uh, not too much going on the last two weeks. Trying to stay online. Yeah, well, that's always a constant <laughs> yeah. concern for me. Every time we record, I don't know what is up with this internet, but oh well. Uh, last Sunday, Josh and I spent about two hours or so going back and forth with each other, trying to convince each other to sign up for the Proton suite, so the Proton Mail, VPN, and all that. Uh, ultimately, we ended up deciding to do it, kind of like a suicide pact almost, but we both uh, pulled the trigger on the two-year plan for everything, so it gives us the beta access for the Proton uh, Proton Drive, which is really it's cool. It's a privacy pact. It's, it's privacy. You just did like a privacy high five. That's what it was. <laughs> So the uh, you know the VPN works very very well. If you're comfortable with a little bit of light uh, command line usage, it works perfect. Uh, the only issue that I really had at the beginning is that number one, it doesn't start up automatically, so you have to either manually start it every time you reboot, or you can just simply add a, a little startup script and uh, works fine that way. Another issue that I was having at first was that if you had the kill switch enabled, for some reason it was the kill switch would try to connect before the actual VPN would try to connect when you when you rebooted. So in in effect it would it would essentially block your internet even from connecting to Proton servers until you had to until you went in and disabled the kill switch and then turned off the VPN and reconnected. Um, I was able to work that out with just a simple uh, system D script and I, I can add that to the uh, show notes later on for anybody else who may be struggling with that. Yeah yeah the uh, Proton Drive is, right now, it's still in beta, so it's still pretty bare bones in its current, fo- uh, current form, but it works perfectly. Um, spent about a half hour or so just doing some testing, uploading files, downloading them, sharing links. Everything works exactly as you'd expect it to. Proton Mail is mail. It's, if you're not familiar with that, it's a very good product in and of itself. So I know uh, Josh isn't here to talk about his experience with it, but I know he was having some issues at first. But I think uh, the issues that he was, he, were, he was having is just because he accidentally installed the old uh, community edition of Proton VPN, and uh, I pointed them towards the the official uh, repository for that, and I think he's doing well with it now since. Uh, aside from Proton, I've also been messing around with Hunix. So Hunix is an operating system that's been uh, designed to help protect your privacy and anonymity by forcing all connections uh, through the Tor network. Hunix is uh, set up on two uh, two virtual machines. So one runs what's called a gateway, and that's the one that actually has the internet connection that runs everything through Tor. And then the other virtual machine it sets up is the workstation. The workstation actually has... That's where you do all of your work, obviously. But the workstation actually doesn't have a connection to the internet at all. Uh, the workstation only connects to the gateway. And then, like I said, the gateway connects through the Tor network. So everything's completely protected in there. Uh, DNS leaks are blocked and impossible because of that. I like it a lot. It's it's similar in a lot of ways to Tails, obviously without the amnesiac uh, portion of it, but in uh, in design, it's it's very similar. 
Uh, the only downside to it, because I had tried using Hunix in the past, and the one negative aspect to it is that you're running two virtual machines, so you do need a bit of uh, a bit of RAM on your machine in order to, in order to be able to run it comfortably. But with the XPS, I have 16 gigabytes now, so I just devoted uh, four gigabytes to each VM, and it works great. Been uh, trying to harden that and and kind of get used to that, so I'll probably have more to report on that in the next episode. Now, outside of the uh, the Linux world, I've been wanting to buy a bicycle lately. It's actually been for about the last two or three weeks. I was uh, We were on a meeting, and Joe mentioned he was going for a bike ride, and for some reason, it put the idea into my head. So I started researching bicycles, and... Oh, sure. My... Blame Joe. <laughs> I was completely blown away by the price of bicycles now. I mean, granted, I haven't bought a bicycle probably in about 20 to 25 years, but I swear the last time I bought one, it was like $120 brand new. I walked into Walmart and maybe plunked down, like I said, about 120 bucks. These days, though, bicycles go for about the price of a used car. I was looking online. I was seeing prices, $1,200 to $1,500. Even Amazon had bikes that were $2,200, and I really didn't want to spend that much. Um, because I don't know how long I'll stick with it or how often I'll use it. Uh, what I'm wanting is a, is a city cruiser. So I want something with a little bit of storage on it. I can kind of run errands and, and whatnot. But I definitely don't, I don't want to spend over $1,000, especially in New England. It's, we only really get about three to four months of good biking weather anyway. So I ended up finding a company online that sells partially built bikes that they ship out to you for a much, much lower price, a fraction of the price. Uh, so when you get the bike, it comes about, I believe, 65% completed, they say. And so you can just use some household tools and uh, a little instructional video. And supposedly, hopefully, you have a 100% finished bike at the end. Um, I'm a little bit worried about that because I'm not particularly mechanically inclined. I've never built a bicycle before or really anything. It's easy, Mike. I, I work for Habitat for Humanity for about a year rebuilding the donated bikes and putting them out on the floor for sale. There's nothing to it. Well, we'll see. So I'm supposed to get it in this coming Thursday, and uh, I don't know, it may wind up that you or Joe get an unexpected package in the mail along with a letter saying, please finish this for me. So we'll see. <laughs> and then what? Ship it back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll pay, I'll pay the shipping. Don't worry. Need to check into the bike tires from Mars. <laughs> they just, I just saw those announced today. I uh, did not have time to get them into the show notes. It's actually a metal mesh bicycle tire well they're turning them into bicycle tires to be released next year they don't have air in them they don't have rubber in them they don't wear out and they they just conform to whatever you're going over and then rebound to their original shape wow i'd be, and, I'd be interested uh, in hearing something more about that from somebody who's used they're using these tires on the mars rovers now but they're saying they'll have bike tires out by 2022 i oh, imagine wow. they won't be cheap Probably not, but you'll never have to replace them either. Yeah, that's true. You can never get a flat. Although, I, I mean, I wonder, you said they, they kind of conform to the ground, but I wonder if you if you hit something hard enough, if it'll permanently bend the metal metal mesh inside. I or... don't believe so. They If they're tough enough to use on Mars, you know. <laughs> Strong enough for Mars, but made for Earth. Uh, that sounds like a secret. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, about all I've been up to the last fortnight. Well, all right, then that'll do it. Or that section. Yeah, that's that's what I meant. So uh, let's head down to the news. In the news, I think we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time on, well, I mean, the podcast namesake, right? Mint News. 
So um, we had a new article written by our very own Clem, and he talks about a couple of different issues. So we'll uh, we'll talk about those. But the real the real beef the real beef is in the comments. So we'll get to that as well. And I think that's where we'll spend most of our time. Where's the beef, Leo? The beef is in the comments. <laughs> it's in the comments, Moss. We'll find it together. Where's the beef? <laughs> so the, the first thing that uh, Clem brings up in this particular month is uh, user merge. So they announced user merge maybe two months ago and encouraged you to do it during the upgrade to 20.1. And this is, uh, as a reminder, this is basically uh, there are binaries that live in user bin and bin. And, you know, same for SBIN, so SBIN and user SBIN, and uh, there are a few others. And the idea is to have everything in one spot, which is in USR. So USR bin is where everything goes. And if it's not there, it's linked to there uh, instead of actually living in all these different places. And this simplifies things. But I'm all for that. I'm always lost trying to find out where I store something or where to put something. Like if you get a tar file where where the heck do you put the executable well you could put it here 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 or here i go give me one you know so clem notes that there were some problems there were some people that that had brought up some bugs and uh basically some software did not work um with non-merged systems so um well uh so merged systems weren't compatible with non-merged systems so if you built your software on a non-merged system and then you try to run it on a merged system there could be issues, and there were, and those are getting patched up. Uh, if they're if they're not already done yet, um, it might be a good idea to go take a look and see if there's a bug report for your particular piece of software, and at least you'll get some discussion on what's going on. But I've not run into any issues. Uh, did y'all do user merge during the upgrade to 20.1? I did, yeah. Yeah, and have you run into anything? No, not a single problem at all. Even even actually doing it, I, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it actually turned out to be. It was oh, very simple. Too. Took three and a half seconds and a reboot. That was about it. Yeah, I don't even yeah. remember, but I probably did. Yeah, if if you've installed twenty point one just from the ISO, then you're already user merged. So you know you're you're in that boat as well. And so if you've seen problems, then yeah, that that might be uh, something to take a look into. But yeah, for me, I didn't I, I didn't see anything. The other one, the big one, the thing that everybody was so scared about. Linux Mint. It's Windows. Turn, yeah, it's going to turn into a Microsoft operating system and force us to install updates. Please stop. <laughs> Please stop looking that far into these things. Clem he, is not uh, Bill Gates or Satya Nadella or who's the guy in the middle? Uh, he's always sweating. What's that guy? Steve Ballmer. He's not any of those guys. <laughs> Uh, this this is not going to be what you think it's going to be, and no one's going to force anybody to do anything. He will give you the option. There is a new, or there will be a new enable automatic updates button on the update notifier. So you can turn it that way, but there was never any doubt in my mind. Go back to episodes, listen, you'll see what I'm talking about, that he was going to force you to update. There was no way. He complained about it, said you should, but... No, really? No, that's not going to happen. And here's a nice quote directly from Clem. Oh, pur- yes. Purportedly to all the chicken littles who were running around the last couple of weeks saying, talking about oh, how the sky yeah. was falling in Linux world. He, Clem says specifically, we designed a notification system which acts as a gentle and welcome reminder and took great care not to turn it into an annoyance. Yeah. So some of the, um, uh, so about that, 
he actually has it. Let me see. Where does it say? Here we go. By default, Update Manager shows a notification if a particular update has been available for more than seven logged-in days or 15 calendar days. Okay. So he actually goes into the comments, and here's where the beef is, right? Uh, seven logged-in days is quite literally seven days that your computer is logged in. So if you log in for one day, log out for another day, and log in for one day, that's two days, two logged-in days. So, yeah, um, if, you can, if you do seven logged-in days before the 15-calendar day uh, threshold, then you'll get a notification. Otherwise, you'll get it on that 15th calendar day. So this is, this is it's hardly a nag. <laughs> it's, it's not even into nag levels at this point, I think. So we'll be... I think we'll be just fine. You can handle getting uh, an update uh, on your updates once or twice a month. I think that is um, that is more than fair because of the issue of people never updating. You got to update. There's an, you got to actually update. Otherwise, there are there are risks. You are running risks. But again, you know, there are people out there that want to run that risk or don't care about that risk. So, I mean, you know, you do you. Clem's going to let you do you. There's no forcing involved. But, yeah, just come on. <laughs> come on. It gets even better, though, because the notification system has a grace period where if you've installed any updates in any way in the last 30 days, it's not going to notify you. So oh, they, yeah. And that means whether you've installed them through Update Manager, whether you opened up your terminal and did sudo apt upgrade, uh, or even through Synaptic Package Manager, any way that you've installed updates is gonna is gonna basically give you a grace period where the the system's not gonna bother you to to get the other ones that you did not install. That's fantastic. So so if you're a responsible chicken little, then you'll never ever see this ever. <laughs> and yeah, uh, you can you can customize it as well. So I mean, if you don't like the seven logged in days, fifteen calendar days, you can change it. Change it to I think it's uh, you can go all the way up to ninety days. Don't. I really don't recommend that, but you could if you really wanted to. Or you can turn it off altogether and never be yep. bothered. That's it, exactly. So if you just if you can't handle being nagged twice a month by default, then yeah, you could just go turn them off. I don't recommend you turn them off, but you know, go turn them off. That's that's the thing, right? Clem has said multiple times, and at this point, you have no choice but to believe him that it's your computer, not his. He will never, or the team will never put anything in there to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. He didn't even force you to do user merge, and it's a good thing to do. You're going to be okay. For anybody that's listening to this that might turn around and go write an article about how uh, Linux Mint is going to blow up the entire Linux community, then maybe not. <laughs> maybe temper it a little bit, because it's, it's never as bad as anybody makes it out to be. Well, now I feel bad for the bloggers because we just took away all their ammunition for uh, article views. This is true. I don't Th think my... This won't my, stop them. This won't that, stop exactly. them. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah, no one's going to stop anybody. So I think this is fantastic. Um, good. It's good to know. It's good to know that you have updates and you need to do them, especially if you're a forgetful person like I am. So um, yeah, it's good. So a few other things. So like I said, the real beef is in the comments. And I, we've learned... I think we learned more about the future of Mint in the comments than we did in this particular blog post. So I've got, I've got a laundry list here um, of questions that I have heard out in the wild. And I mean, Clem lays the hammer down right here. So Clem on the release for these changes. He says, 
This is planned for Mint 20.2, but it could also be backported. We've, uh, we have a journalistic Slack, which we're in, I think. We can send you an invite if you contact us by email. So, I mean, basically, if you want these updates, you can go in there and he'll give you these updates. You can ask these questions and all that kind of stuff. Um, Clem uh, noted in the comments that the flat pack or that, that flat pack will also be controllable through the update manager. That, so that, that is fantastic. If you uh, don't want your flat packs to update on boot, which is the default in Linux Mint, then or on login, I guess it would be login. Um, then that is also coming to a update manager near you soon enough. Um, on flat pack again, though, he does note um, somebody asked him, you know, 1.6.5 is no longer supported. It's really, really old and crusty, and it's you know you need there's some features that uh, are really fantastic that. Linux Mint folks are not getting a hold of right now. Um, and he said a more current one is on the roadmap. So, Flatpak, getting an update one of these days. Hang tight. Uh, for me, on my desktop, I wanted to test out the new features, so I just installed the PPA for Flatpak. So, I mean, you can get around it, but yeah, he will issue you an update one of these days. Uh, so, the question was about Wayland and GTK4. Where is that in the plans? And Clem said, there are no plans to move to GTK4 right now, but like anything new, this is something we have an interest in, and so we're keeping an eye on it. Regarding Wayland, I have no news. We're investigating the idea to, of making the latest Cinnamon work with Mutter. There are many pros and cons associated with that. It's not directly related to Wayland, but it could help getting closer. So it's on the roadmap too, but I, don't, I wouldn't expect GTK4 or Wayland um, anytime soon. I wouldn't even count on it for Linux Mint 21. So if there are things that you need for Wayland, I mean, you could try and install it and see what happens, but uh, I don't think Cinnamon's going to work very well until uh, they do that mutter work Clem mentioned. But what about the other flavors? Oh, ooh, ooh, we'll get to that. Um, I mean, so, uh, Wayland might work better with Mate, maybe, is what I'm saying. Uh, I see, I see what you're saying. Uh, you know, he didn't comment on that, so I can't speak for him. But hey, you know what? That's a good idea for that... Uh, uh, that journalistic channel, right? Maybe we should go to ask. You mean the media slack? Yeah, that one. That's the same. Yeah, that one. So um, a, a question that I've heard over and over and over and over again, or maybe maybe not so much a question, but more of a wish. Uh, bring KDE Plasma back. Or, you know, what about these other awesome desktop environments that are really fantastic and should totally be in Linux Mint? He says, Clem says, not at the moment. We're very happy with the Cinnamon Mate XFCE trio. And then lastly, uh, another question I saw and that was in the comments was, when is LMDE going to get user merge or when should we do user merge on LMDE? Um, Clem writes, although we're likely to move to a merge system in LMDE 5, in LMDE 4, you don't need to merge your system. First, our build environment for LMDE is not merged. And that goes back to the bug that we were talking about before. Don't merge it if, the, if, if everything that's built on, if everything is built on a non-merged system. Um, and he says, second, Debian has been aware of this issue and actively fixed it in their repos. The Ubuntu version of Plymouth produces unreproducible builds. The Debian version does not. Debian detected this, this issue and already patched it. So if any of those questions have been on your mind, I'm glad Clem could answer it for you and that we could amplify that. See, I told you it was, we were going to spend some more time on it today. And we did. Uh, all right, so let's move on. So Londoner reminds us that... Ventoy 1.0.00 was released on April 5th in 2020. So as we're recording this, there are just a few hours left before it's Ventoy's birthday. Yay! 
Everybody still using Ventoy? You still using it on a daily? Yeah, I oh, still yeah. use oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've actually not ever used it. What? Distro hoppers can't live without it. Mike, Mike, just disconnect now. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't worry. My internet will take care of that on its own. <laughs> That's very true. No, I've only ever used, uh, I've used multi-boot on the Windows end, um, but I yeah. never, never tried Ventoy. Well, Ventoy works easier on Windows than it does on Linux. So. Actually, yeah, that's very true. Oh, really? <laughs> it, it is totally worth sacrificing a USB key to. And, you know, you realize very quickly that you're not even sacrificing it because all of the area in, in your flash drive is still writable and usable. And you can use it to move files back and forth just like you would with flash drive. But you get the added benefit of it's also a bootable USB that will run just about any ISO that you throw at it. So it's totally worth sacrificing 200 megs on that stick. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they said they're sticks. up to 95% of testing all distros listed what? on DistroWatch. Wow. How do you even do that? How, how, like, how, oh, that's so much time. So much time. Jing? Jing, Jing? What is this? Jing. Jing OS released version 0.8 to the public with a lot of new features and further announced they were starting a crowdfunding campaign for the JingPad A1, which they're calling the world's first consumer-level Linux tablet. Hold on. Is that true? Is they that even true? They want to make a Linux tablet that looks and runs like an iPad, but is running Linux. Oh, okay. Hold on. Okay. They said some nice words, but I don't know. Okay, hold on. Is that even true? It the is. The first consumer yes. level? I thought there was a Pine Tab. Pine Tab is not a consumer-level Linux tablet. Oh, is it it's an experimental toy? tablet. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, I see what you did, JingPad. Uh, okay, I'll give it to you. JingOS is intended to be a full Linux experience for tablet computers, but with an interface that could be mistaken easily for iPad OS. Oh, they're going that way with it. They're designing a product with a 2K Plus screen, Gorilla Check. Glass front Check. and back, Four point four to three screen ratio and premium components with a pen and a keyboard both available. Check, 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 and check. Cool. Wow. They have Discord, Telegram, Facebook, and other forums to get involved in. It should be pointed out that they got this announcement in under the wire on March 31st. There were murmurings about it being a joke. Ooh, yeah, sneaky. It, uh, honestly, in some parts of the world, it uh, it was probably already April 1st, so... Those of you in Australia, yeah, yeah, it well, wasn't. Well, they were it in Hong joke. Kong, remember, so... Uh, oh, true. So it's very close. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, you really need to check it out. It really looks cool. They're going to start the crowdfunding campaign in June. Very cool. I'd like to check that out. I've, I've I looked at the Pine tab. I mean, tablets aren't really my thing, but they are very useful. So um, I, I did consider a Pine tab for a little while. You know, because I'm thinking like um, I would like a little thing that I could use to follow along on chats, telegrams, discords, things like that. Just have them all in one one spot that isn't my phone, um, mostly because uh, I enjoy my battery life. And when all those chats are plinging all the time, the battery life kind of goes away. Well, the problem with tablets is mostly that you have the high-end tablets that are 800 to to $1,000. And then you've got the 100 to $150 tablets that don't work. Yeah, and there's, and there's there, hardly an in-between. Well, the in-between is called the Fire Tablet. Not going to add in my arguments on that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, and I don't want to have to hack it. I do have a Duo Duo Go tablet that is running a hacked version of uh, Android 9. It's still running a uh, kernel 3 dot something, but uh, it works a lot better than the other $100 or less tablets, but it's still a $100 or less tablet. And uh, the Jing tab or uh, Jing pad 
they're talking about having it being a real tablet for maybe five or six hundred. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. So it's going to fill that middle spot. Okay. I'll keep an eye on it. Well, they think it's going to fill fill the top spot just at the middle spot uh, price. We'll find out. I'm excited to see it. So let's man up. That's it. Man pages. 5.11. Mike, are, are you are you a big uh, are you a big man lover? Is that what the <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to use it whenever possible. I try to make that my first my first stop. So this is a it's a quick one, but it's a big one. Uh, man pages 5.11 has been released. It's one of the largest man pages updates in 20 years. So this update features over 50,000 line changes and over 480 commits by 40 different contributors. Um, 950 pages have been changed. That's more than 90% of all man pages have been changed in this. All spelling corrections. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) So this release uh, does feature spelling corrections, uh, various patches and bug fixes. And uh, that came out about a week ago. So that's available now. Wow. That's insane. So that's really cool, though. So this is it's going to contain like updated information and hopefully rewordings of some of the things. Some of that stuff was arcane, man. Wow, very cool. Very very cool. And the last little bit is Alma Linux, the soul of Linux is official. There's a there's a conversion script out there that will convert you from CentOS 8 to Alma Linux 8. And yeah, uh so it's nice to know that this is out there and if you are a CentOS refugee or soon will be, this is a an option for you. So more than the news itself, I was curious. Who do you think is going to win? Because there are two, well, okay, there are four alternatives out there right now. I think by and large, people that are on Oracle are going to stay on Oracle Linux and uh, people that are not on Oracle Linux by now probably will never go to Oracle Linux. So that's, yeah, Oracle's one, but not a favorite. Um, and then you have, uh, what was the other one? Uh, now I'm just drawing a blank. I had it. I had it. And I didn't write it down. Um, so we've got Rocky Linux, right? Which is huge on community headed by one of the original founders of CentOS, though he wasn't, um, he wasn't part of the team during the switch, I think. Um, yeah, he wasn't you, on the Red Hat team. He was back when they were still developing it on Slackware. Right, right. Then you have Alma Linux. What was the fourth one? Uh, it'll, it'll come to me later. But, and then you have Alma Linux, who is backed by not necessarily the community. Not saying that they don't have community, but um, when they came out, they were more concerned with just having an analog to CentOS for people that have been displaced to get on. And um, I think the community was secondary. So my question, I think, because it really only pertains to Rocky and Alma, is do you think the first to market will win, who is Alma, or do you think having a sense of community that Rocky is trying to put together is going to be the the one to win, I guess, the majority of, of refugees? At first, it'll be whoever, you know, comes out first. But uh, long term, it's going to be whoever has the best support. Oh, you think so? The best updates, the best stability. Yeah, so Rocky you you is saying they're going to be bug for bug compatible. I think right. you can do better than that. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. Okay, so so 
Joe, you've introduced a third option. So it's not the first to market and it has nothing to do with the community. It has everything to do with, you know, how fast those updates come down to you? Well, stable updates. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's the thing, right? Like CentOS, it was a bit slower, but I mean, it was, it was Red Hat. Under, underneath the hood, once you started tinkering around, it was the same thing as Red Hat right. without the logos. Well, once Red so, Hat starts, I, I, you know, putting out things that aren't included in these alternate CentOSes, the person that starts adding them in most quickly and stably, that will that'll probably be the distro that sticks around the longest or so gets the most users. You might be leaning toward Alma then because they are, a, a, a who is it, uh, Cloud Linux, I think is uh, the name of the company. And they are looking to put in some of those commercial analogs. But I don't know that that's on the, the roadmap for Rocky. I think Rocky is just going to be what CentOS was, which is, you know, all the, you know, it was basically Red Hat without the Red Hat bits. Yeah. Interesting. Anybody else got a thought on that? You know, I, honestly, when, uh, when Josh and I were talking about it, um, my, my first instinct, and I think I'm going to stick with that instinct, is the first to market's going to win. And you see this all of the time where it doesn't matter if you're the better one. It all that matters is that you were able to get into the hands of the people that wanted you first. And when people make a decision like that, especially one that is as big as we're migrating all of our servers to something or at least testing it, um, I think you just you stick with what you know. And even though Rocky won't be that different from Alma, I think Alma might be pulling ahead because of this. Well, yeah, but they also have to not drop the ball. Well, Alma has uh, separated out Alma Linux, created a foundation, and will endow that foundation with $1 million every single year. So um, dropping the ball is going to be a whole lot harder when you have a $1 million to spend than Rocky, who I think, I think is only working off of donations at this time. Moss brings up a good point, though. It's, you can, it's, if you're the first to market, you, you really don't want to be the first to market with garbage because then that can stain your rep- reputation Right. Even thereafter. I mean, you, people six months a year, for, you know, because people still mention now and whenever you bring up privacy distros or, or insecure distros, people still to this day will, will bring up how Ubuntu had the Amazon uh, search link back in the day. And oh, that was yeah. years ago. So you know, even oh, people that, still remember that. Yeah. Even that, <laughs> they, they still have that stain on them from what, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. So it, it could be a double edged sword coming first to market. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, their beta went fairly well. Uh, so now, you know, the first real version of Alma is out there. I guess in the next month or so, probably by the next episode, we'll have a good idea of whether or not they, uh, they dropped the ball or they're able to run with it. Anyway, food for thought. So that'll do it. Let's move on to the security update. We have a couple of links. Uh, we have a couple of uh, articles to talk about, and uh, one. Well, okay, uh, some questions. Some. I'm, I'm just very questioning today. I'd like. Uh, I'd like to ask all the questions. So, uh, first up, Mike, tell me what is this? Why? Why is my smartphone spying? Smartphones don't spy on you. Not usually, but you know, only always. But yeah, you know, <laughs> every week I like to bring the sunshine. So. This week, I have a uh, report out of the University of Dublin where researchers have found that, on average, both iOS and Android uh, smartphones transmit telemetry data back home every four and a half minutes, which is awful. Uh, However, compounding that, Android transmits 20 times more data back to Google than iOS sends back to Apple. 
Uh, no, that's not. That's not. It's not true. It can't be true. Google <laughs> would never just mine you for data and send it back to Google to sell. That's just not true. It's not true. It's really not that you're the product and they don't make all their money through advertising. Well, I think uh, Google's official company motto is we don't care about your data, right? <laughs> well, they do, I guess they, they do, don't, right? They do care about your data. They just don't care about your privacy. <laughs> oh, see? Okay, okay. So, I mean, the one positive on this, I, I suppose, if, if you if you want to call it that, is that there is literally nothing you can do to prevent this from happening, so you might as well just not even worry about it. Either that or just get a, well, get a dumb phone. Well, there is something you can do. You, you can root your phone and put lineage on it or something. And then, and then you go and put the Play Store on there, and that just breaks it all again anyway. Well, don't use the Play Store. Use the Aurora Store or just F-Droid. F-Droid. Look, I'm just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I totally agree with you and, and would love people to actually do that. But will people actually do that? No. Says the guy who just bought a Google Pixel and... Uh, it started installing Android 11. I go, oh, cool. I got to look at this. I'm not going to put <laughs> lineage yep. on this after all. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So Google didn't even have to try hard to convert you, Moss. Oh, man. No. So hopefully, Android can serve your needs. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, it's, man, I, I think it's just the price you pay for yeah, having a smartphone. It's the world or, we live in. Mm hmm. So definitely worth a read. Go check out that study. It's fantastic. Uh, I want to say that this study, I, I don't know if this study is really, really old or they just redid the study because I remember hearing about this particular study a while back. And I mean, the, the same general idea was uh, was this. So maybe they redid that study. That's fantastic. Though. I think that the new bit to this or or the expanded bit is, the, is just the fact that Android is transmitting so much more data back to Google yeah. than iOS does to, uh, to Apple. I think the assumption previously was that they both transmitted roughly the same amount of data back. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is that uh, the both companies, iOS, or, I mean, Apple and uh, Google will say, but don't worry about it because the uh, the data is obfuscated. You can't tell who it it's came from or whatever. And, and, yeah, anonymized, that's the word. And, and it's transmitted securely. It's encrypted. Like, if it's anonymized, you don't need to encrypt it. Why are you encrypting it? And my, my, my mind immediately goes to, you know, tinfoil hat style. They're not encrypting it to keep it away from prying eyes. They're encrypting it to keep it away from your eyes so you don't know what you're telling them. Exactly. Mm, mm, stop it, Google. Just stop it. And Apple, you too, just to a lesser extent. Stop it. Anyway, next up, uh, more sunshine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's so hear it for sunshine. sunshine. Oh. Uh, businessinsider.com reports the personal data of over 500 million Facebook users has been posted online in a low-level hacking forum. Hold on, that's that's the, not a lot. Oh. The data includes phone numbers, full names, location, email addresses, and biographical information. Isn't that like all of them? Look, 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 look. All you got to do is is you got to frame it differently. You can't say the number. That number is very big and it makes you scared. All of them. You got to say one fourteenth of the entire population of the earth <laughs> has been has been wrapped up in this in this breach. Wait, or no, one eighth that, of that the users on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't do one fourteenth, because that's a lot. Security researchers warn that the data could be used by hackers to impersonate people and commit fraud. Funny that. Now, over 533 million Facebook users from 106 countries, including over 32 million records on users in the U.S., 11 million on users in the U.K., and 6 million on users in India. 
It includes their phone numbers, Facebook IDs, full names, locations, birthdays, bios, and in some cases, email addresses. Oh my gosh. Imagine, right? So we already get enough spam calls that are about nothing that you care about. But just imagine, the spam calls are now going to be about what you care about. Ooh. Well, it's a good thing that nobody uses Facebook. Nobody. I don't. Well, I don't Absol- I Absolutely do. zero people that listen to this podcast use Facebook. So everybody that listens to this podcast is safe, right? <laughs> oh, no, man. Well, I'm no. This is bad. <laughs> Just everybody yeah, get know. off of Facebook and switch over to Google+. Plus. Oh, oh, okay, wait. That, that was both disgusting just, and sad at just, the same time. Just start using Hangouts. Oh. Okay. Well, let me also remind people that there is a uh, plug-in for Firefox that will, uh, what's the word, uh, put put your Facebook in a box that's oh, not yeah, getting uh, to your data. It's containers. The Firefox yeah, containers, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, but that's not going to stop you from getting your data leaked online though. So sad. So um, one other thing, if that was the end of that, you have any more comments on that? I mean, we can throw, we can trash on Facebook all day. Oh, I'm good. Okay. Go on. Uh, there's, there's activity pub there. There's like 8,000 different micro blogging things in, in existence on, on activity pub, you know, like peer tube and um, Mastodon and all of that. I mean, there, there's tons. So, I mean, if, if you really want to do it and you want to stay as secure as you possibly can, which doesn't really guarantee anything about getting your data leaked online, um, but it does make you anti-Facebook or at least not Facebook, uh, you know, there, there's options. You can go do something else. Your friends won't be there, but you can go do something else. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> move on to the last little bit so we can be done with this section. Uh, vulnerability disclosure norms. Okay. There was a long-winded conversation that I truly enjoyed between Dale and I in the Mintcast Telegram group, and it brought up a couple of different data points that are just interesting in general, and I thought I would pose them to y'all and get your opinion on them. So uh, first, the first kind of topic that we're talking about is the idea that There are people out there, security researchers, hackers, whatever you want to call them. I like to call them hackers because that's really what hacking meant is, you know, making software do stuff that it wasn't meant to do. It had nothing to do with people wearing hoodies and using Kali. But hackers, security researchers, whatever. Is it okay to whatever research you learn, whatever uh, vulnerability you get, is it okay for them to drop their research to the public directly without letting developers know first? What are your thoughts on that? It depends. Um, oh. if you're, um, a bug hunter and, and you get paid for a, a bug bounty, then you should follow the requirements. Right. Uh, 90 days seems a little bit long for m- most vulnerabilities, at least in my opinion. But if, if, that, right. if that's, but, what, but it that is, is that's the, what it is, yeah, I was going to say for right now and, and, and during most, um, codes of conduct. 90 days is seemingly the industry standard for this is how long you give a company to fix the issue before you publicly disclose. So, yeah, yeah. But if uh, you're not a bug bounty collector, then you're under no obligation whatsoever to wait any amount of time. You find a vulnerability, you let it out there. That's yeah, just, okay, here it is. Fame is, fame is a powerful drug. And uh, I remember, I seem to remember a... Uh, a person that was disclosing Microsoft vulnerabilities, uh, what was her name? Um, she was doing some really deep down Microsoft bugs that were just really damaging to the Microsoft brand. 
Uh, and she was just dropping them on Twitter. And she, I mean, she had a bone to pick with Microsoft, I think. But, I mean, just coming out. And, there, you know, there's no, there's nothing that can be done about that. You can just politely ask her to stop doing that. But, you know, as you said, Joe, there's, there's no real obligation to, to give anybody 90 days or anything like that other than, you know, hey, <laughs> everybody knows about this bug. You should probably go fix it now. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, as you said and as Joe said, nobody's really under any obligation to give any type of warning. But, I mean, if you want to be a good internet citizen, it's, you know, you're probably better off notifying the company first and keeping it under wraps. I mean, that's like if you come across your neighbor who left for the day and, and had their door wide open, you could be a nice person and go close their door for them, or you could go over there and just rob their house to teach them a lesson. So or no, you can no, get no, on no, the bullhorn no. and be like, hey, everybody, uh, his house is open. Check it out. The, the right. difference exactly. there is, is um, <laughs> if you see a neighbor whose door is wide open and they're not home or you don't know if they're home or not, you haven't seen a car or anything like that, the proper thing to do there is actually call the police and inform them so that they can come by and check and make sure that something has been going on in the house. Sure. So I... Sure. I but the the analogy there, I'm not sure how that, that fits in with everything else, but it's still, you know... We, we you don't have an internet police, so... <laughs> All right, so so I, I think... Oh, yeah, I guess we didn't come to a conclusion on that, really. I, I feel like, you know, dropping is probably not uh, a good idea. Mike, you said this. I mean, be a good netizen, and um, you, I guess you don't even really have to do the 90-day thing, though. Just be like, hey, guys, uh, in a week... I'm going to drop this uh, yeah. into the public domain. So, you know, if you want to uh, skirt some uh, really bad press, you probably fix this. Uh, I a guess ASAP. that's the polite thing to do. I mean. Yeah. But I mean, you know, again, you, I, you're right, Joe. I mean, there's, there's no obligation. There's no rule and there's no law uh, against dropping that kind of thing. Not yet anyway. But yeah, you damage a company bad enough, they'll lobby and there'll be a law. If I find a bug or something with Windows or Google or anybody else, the first thing I'm going to do is go look and see if they have a bug bounty program. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I'll follow uh, I mean, their rules. And that is the biggest thing about that is that, you know, obviously there is a problem with people just dropping zero days, essentially. And the uh, seemingly the remedy for that is just pay those people, offer them money to not do that and give you plenty of time to fix it or to, you know, uh, some of those are probably never disclose this. We'll, we'll fix it when we fix it. But um, yeah, go get paid. I mean, there, there is uh, HackerOne is one of the biggest aggregators of these bug bounties, and you can just go see what bounties are out there for what software, pick one that you think you can handle, and then go hack away at it. And when you're done, you get paid whatever the bounty is, whether that's $100 or $100,000. I think I've seen um, some, I won't say normal because those are just really egregious bugs, but, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 as a bug bounty. So, I mean, it works because... The alternative is zero days, which you never want, state actors paying for these particular bugs, um, or yeah, just the bug bounty. Make it lucrative enough that you don't go looking into the uh, dark underworld of state actor buying your stuff. So, <laughs> it's scary either way you look at it. As far as the 90-day requirement, that seems to be the industry standard across uh, across pretty much everywhere. There, there certainly are deviations from that, but 90 seems to be what you see all the time. You think 90 is too long, not long enough, just right? What do you What do y'all think? 90 seems a little long, but that's just according my to Microsoft, um, uh, three years is long. So <laughs> yeah, three years is quite long enough. 
yeah. that's the problem with Microsoft. If you if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So if you give them you know longer than ninety days, they'll let that zero day sit out there for eight nine months sometimes. Right. And, you know, open source is not immune from this either. I mean, how many times did we talk about years ago, talk about the the bugs in SSL and in TLS? And they were known. They were well known, but they were never fixed because nobody cared. Nobody cared that there were game-breaking bugs in this game of life because everything is secured on the Internet by SSL at that time and TLS now. And I mean, those, those bugs existed forever. And it wasn't until there was a public outcry that people were like, dude, this is one guy. How do you expect him to do all this work and nobody pays him? Everybody on the internet, every, every multi-gajillion dollar company on the internet uses his technology, but not a single one of you pay for it. So, you know, there's a social aspect to it too. But the idea is that, you know, I like to pick on Microsoft because they're big and huge and they have got tons of money and all that kind of stuff. But you know, the open source is not immune from this either. So the 90-day requirement might be short for a company like Microsoft, but very long, I guess. I mean, well, someone like SSL, when you have just one person working on that particular project, maybe 90 days is not even enough. Maybe maybe as a consideration to that particular single dev, you might want to do a 365-day requirement. <laughs> um, poor single dev projects. Do you think companies should have an indefinite amount, amount of time to fix these issues? Like you can disclose these things and then you just walk away. Well, no, no, because you've seen in the past, most specifically with like Windows, where someone tells them that, hey, this is a problem and then it never gets fixed and they never respond yeah. and they never say anything to the person when they say, are you planning on fixing this? And, right, and eventually, right. Thanks you, for letting us know. Yeah, Later. Eventually you do release it and then they'll fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think the ninety day requirement is a nice happy medium between you know disclosing it as a zero day and you know giving them plenty of time uh, to fix like an indefinite amount of time to fix it. I mean, ninety days is a pretty good happy medium there, and it lights a fire under you, man. I mean, as a single dev, I mean, honestly, uh, yes, it lights a fire under you, but I think honestly, you'll you'll generate more empathy than anything else uh, if you're you know the guy working on SSL. Um, as opposed to Microsoft, you give them 90 days, they don't fix it, and then you drop it on the public, and now the public knows about it, and now Microsoft's in trouble for it because they're trying to secure millions of customers across the globe, and, you know, they didn't do what they were meant to do. Uh, th this is, um, Dale was bringing up the example of the Exchange server hack, uh, ha uh, Hafnium, I think, is uh, the group that uh, had a ton of these bugs. And th th as far as I understand, Hafnium is a state actor. So, I mean, it, these people aren't necessarily the ones we're talking about. They are just going to keep them to themselves and never disclose these things until it's uh, advantageous for them. If they want to damage Microsoft, that's that's one way to do it. Um, but otherwise, you know, we, we, we learned this from Vault 7, from our U.S. NSA. All that stuff got leaked out onto the Internet. And we learned that uh, the NSA had access to every single Windows machine in existence, all of them. You could you could pop a root shell on one of those things with just a couple of clicks. It's insane the amount of stuff we, we learned that you know Samsung TVs are uh, hackable easily, easily, and just tons of it was a laundry list of things that we learned about Vault Seven. And to think that other state actors don't know these things, um, <laughs> I, I feel like that's being a little naive, but. 
Anyway, 90 days, I feel like it's a happy medium, but um, yeah, you got to light that fire under companies like Microsoft. And, uh, my closing thing on that particular uh, conversation was that when you're going up against a corporation like Microsoft or any big one, you know, I've, I've been picking on Microsoft. It could be anybody. It could be Google. It could be Amazon. It doesn't matter. Um, when you're going up against these companies, I really feel like these companies will not work in an ethical way to their own users. Um, if they do, it's by accident. It's it's by oh, the profit and ethicality happen to cross paths in this particular instance. But I don't think that ethics were really on the forefront of the decision-making process. It was more, um, you know, th- th- not fixing this is going to save us a million dollars. Fixing this is going to cost us $6 million Eh, we just won't fix it. And that's why I think, you know, 90 days is is already being generous. Um, and eh, go ahead. 90 days is fine. But you need that fire. Anyhow, any comments? Any Anything else? All right. All right. That's it. We made it to the end of the show. So I guess this is the point in time where I tell you what you already know, which is in two weeks, our next episode will be at 2 p.m. Central U.S. time on April 18th, 2021. But I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. Uh, But if you don't know that, then we've also got a little link for you down here at the bottom that will convert to your time zone so you don't have to rack your brain trying to figure out 2 p.m. Central U.S. time. What even is that in my own time zone? Click the link and you don't have to wonder. It does it for you. And it just tells you what time you need to be hanging around. Put us on your phone. Put us on your TV. Chromecast us. Whatever. Whatever. Just uh, sit in and have a listen. For 47% of Americans, that's 3 (laughs) p.m. You're probably right. I do live in a bit of a desert. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Joe... Where can we find more of you? Well, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on uh, the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at www.tllts.org or the Linux Lugcast, www.linuxlugcast.com. We just recorded this last Friday. You can find me on MeWe or you can send me an email directly, jb at mincast.org. Bo, you can find him at Crowbar Colonel Panic. If you are so inclined, it is a gaming podcast spun off from Mintcast. <laughs> Moss, what about you? You didn't want to hear about me anyhow. I do. I do. I, I want to hear from you so much that, that I gave you an entire show that I'm going to continue listening to. Oh, shucks. <laughs> well, it's a short one. You don't have time to get bored. Um, okay, you can get me on It's Moss. I'm on MeWe. I've got several blogs, my music on Bandcamp and various YouTube channels, lots of links in the show notes. I'm at Bardic Triad on Twitter, at Zyvola at hosttux.social on Mastodon, uh, Zyvolananda at protonmail.ch for my email. I've got a sponsor, and it's coming along kind of nice. I've got lots of links. See the show notes. How about you, Tony? Yeah, well, you can find me at HPR. I'm host ID 338. Uh, I've got my occasional blog, tony-hughes.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. Uh, you can get me at th at mintcast.org or distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And Tony Watts hasn't been here for a while, but you can still get him at tw at mintcast.org or just search him up. Echoes of Savages, the band. 
Josh Hawk has been here remotely, but you can get him, uh, Josh on Tech at mincast.org, at Josh on Tech on Twitter, and most other social sites. Plus, he's the other half of Crowbar Kernel Panic, so check it out. Mike, what about you? You can email me directly at grouchym at pm.me, or you can hit me up on Discord and Telegram at grouchym. Yeah. Hey, Leo, I'm hey. so bad at self-promotion. What's this about this other show I'm on? Full Circle Weekly News. Don't forget it. So, so let me, let me, let me come full circle, and I will hit that again. So you can find me, leochavez.org, which will likely like wake back up now that I have a little bit more time. Uh, at Leo Chavez on Twitter, at Leo at C.IM on Mastodon. You can also listen to the season finale coming out uh, ye- tomorrow if you're listening live, yesterday if you're not. Linux user space, uh, you can find that at linuxuserspace.show. Um, and you can no longer from me get your five minute news digest at Full Circle Weekly News. That is now Moss. So I'll leave that in my, uh, my wrap up. Click on that link. But you won't hear my voice. You'll hear Moss's. And if nothing else, you can always just uh, you can just buy me a coffee. So before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And Londoner for our time sync. And more and more, more content. ByteMark Hosting, who just renewed us for a year. Thanks again for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting all of our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room. And of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Clem. And Cole. And Owen's got his hands full. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint. So much lag on my machine that it locked up on acid. Did you guys notice? I only had one drive I today. I did, so something's working. I can't get okay, to you right just now. exported all of your drops to Joe. Oh, definitely. <laughs> well, I minimized it and it's completely disappeared. It's going to be a. But I'm still using one it. To edit this really? <laughs> Spreading the wealth around. Oh, so, oh, weird.